Kyle this morning and um, see if he got any sleep last night. Uh, when I was uh, there on Friday night, uh, there was just a lot of noise in the hallway. It was just the excitement of everybody, all the kids from, gosh, churches all across Texas and, um, of course, our church. And the, there is uh, another church from Mississippi that is there. And this year, another one from Baton Rouge. So it's starting to uh, get to be a bigger and bigger camp as churches are coming from different locations. But uh, they were having a great time, and it just uh, made me remember uh, some good memories about summer camp. Uh, when I was younger, my parents would send me off to not only to church camp, which was always about a week out of the year, uh, but because I was such a good kid, uh, they would send me away for a month at a time um, throughout the, the summer to a, a camp in North Carolina. And I remember uh, just some great things about being at that camp. And I learned so much about myself. It's not only about what I learned about God, which was a lot, but I learned about myself. And on one particular day, uh, we were all gathered at the ropes course, which was, uh, we were in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and uh, it was up on kind of an, an incline or going up the bottom of uh, what we would call a mountain. Uh, it was more of a, a smaller mountain that was there at the edge of camp. And as uh, we were getting ready to go on this course, uh, we were divided up into teams or by cabins. And so my cabin was competing against uh, some others that were within our age group. And, and I think I was probably in uh, middle school at this time. And the thing that we were getting ready to do was to climb one of those walls. Like you see, you know, boot camp and different things where you've got to uh, run and jump and try to get up this wall get over to the other side, and then to help your uh, fellow campmate get uh, up on the wall as well. And I remember my counselor, he was looking around trying to pick out who would go first. And uh, he was looking at all the different campers. And I remember he came up to me and he, he just uh, grabbed my arm and, and uh, was just squeezing it, uh, trying to determine. Uh, I thought I was in, in trouble, like usual, but to, to see if I had any muscle. Uh, and uh, I was um, very a very scrawny, skinny kid uh, all growing up. And uh, yet... I, I felt like I was uh, strong, not just, you know, you couldn't see my muscles. They were underneath uh, my shirt and I guess my skin. But he, he grabbed my arm, and I remember, I just, I still remember the look on his face as he shook his head, and he said, nope, he's not going to do. And so he picked somebody else. And I just, I still... I'm in therapy about that. I, I still, you know, I, I just, it hurts my feelings to think that he thought I couldn't get over to the other side, much less pull other people to get over to the other side, because I knew deep down inside, I could do it. I knew that I had the heart and the strength to be able to do it. And how dare he say that? And... From then on, I prayed that our cabin would lose because it was not me doing it. I don't remember what happened there, but I think about that 
experience when I uh, hear this scripture. This is a familiar scripture. And if you have, um, there's a Bible in front of you. I guess we all have one. If you'll look there on page 202 in the Old Testament. This comes from 1 Samuel, as you, you heard it read earlier. Part of chapter 15 and then also a good bit of 16. And if you remember last week, uh, and if you weren't here, we had a great time downstairs. We were able to fit everybody in and had an agape feast and a way of celebrating communion together. And the text that we looked at came from this, uh, this book, 1 Samuel, as the people of, uh, of Israel are longing to have what everybody else has. They look around them and they just recognize that there are people that look different than they do. There are people who worship differently, who have not just one God, but maybe uh, other gods and, and deities that they recognize. Uh, they had different values family values as well as trade values and different philosophies of life. But one of the things that they noticed about the people around them is that they all had kings. And they looked at their own nation, their own people, and recognized we don't have one of those kings. Maybe we could get one of those. And so they start talking about this with one another and they start... uh, I guess lusting, for lack of a better word, for that kind of government, to have somebody who is a lot more like them than God, who could lead them and direct them, that that would just be the better way to do it. And so there's this back and forth between them and God. And so God basically just says, okay, if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. You can have a king and... uh, Saul will be your king. And so they go through this process of uh, getting a king. Here in chapter 15, we see that God is not so happy about this choice. I mean, God wasn't happy about it to begin with. But David, or uh, Saul, is disobeying God. Saul is doing things that are not right, uh, not only for his nation, but are not right in the sight of of God. And so we see here in chapter uh, 15, as we looked at earlier, it says uh, in, in 1534, Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. So not only is Samuel grieving, God is grieving. He's recognizing this is not working out. Saul is not the right one. He is not the right king. He is not the right leader for my people. And so the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? 
I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. And you can kind of see in, in this image, uh, you see the, the ram's horn that is there as he is anointing David, uh, as we'll get to in a minute. But he says, fill your horn with oil, set out. I will send you to Jesse, uh, the Bethlehemite, for I am uh, provided. I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so he, he tells him, go on to Bethlehem. Even though we still have a king, even though Saul is still the king, I want you to go and recognize who is going to be the next king. And so he sets off, goes to Bethlehem, and he goes to Jesse's house. And Jesse has eight sons. And I don't know, uh, you can kind of see back here and in the the image before, some of the, uh, I, I think there are seven of them, including David, that you can see there. But so Saul goes there and um, he's a little bit worried. You know, he says, God, uh, what happens if Saul finds out? I mean, I will be killed. I'll be in big trouble if I'm going to anoint another king while we still have a king. And so God says, well, just tell him you're making a sacrifice if you get caught. I mean, isn't this interesting, this dialogue going back and forth between God and Samuel? And so Samuel says, okay. I'll go, and I'll say that, and and, uh, we'll just make that our plan. And so he goes. And so they have this kind of a worship service that takes place here um, as they're making a sacrifice and as they're recognizing God's presence there with them. It's a special time, a special moment. And you know that Jesse has to be pretty excited. I mean, one of his sons is going to be king. One of his sons is special. In God's sight. And of course, I'm sure he thought they were all special. And he begins with um, the oldest. It says in verse 3 in chapter 16, Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what you shall do. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came out to meet him. And they thought, okay, we're in big trouble. He says, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And in verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. And so he is looking at him and apparently he just looks kingly. I mean, he looks like he could be a great king. He is... Handsome, he's strong, he's probably uh, big enough to be able to win any fight or be able to put down anyone who comes against him or comes against their nation. And then it says that this is not the right one. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because that's not the one I've chosen. I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. So we don't know all of what was going on in the heart of Eliab, but it wasn't what God was looking for. It wasn't the right kind of heart that God would use to lead his people on. And so Jesse calls, uh, and that is a hard one, Sabra. Uh, Abinadab. 
um, he calls him to come. He says, okay, well, Samuel, I've got more sons. I've got others that you could consider. Look on my next son. And so he calls him forward, and Samuel said to Jesse, nope. This is not the right one. Uh, so he calls Shema uh, to pass by. And you could just imagine at this point, um, just that feeling of potential rejection. So he's walking on by. I'm sure he's bowed up, trying to make himself look as good as Eliab, thinking, well, I've got to look better and perform better than that as I walk in front of Samuel. And uh, this isn't the right one either. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. So Jesse's thinking, okay, this is it. I mean, these are my sons. And he says, oh yeah, I do have that one that's out there keeping sheep. He's the young one and, and he's not very experienced. He's not uh, very strong yet. He's just out there keeping the sheep because the others are just too important to do that. They needed to be here today. So he says, go and call him. And uh, we will sit down and wait until he gets here. So they do that. He sent, brought him in, and it says now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So it's kind of an interesting thing here that Eliab was rejected. Uh, Even though he was great looking, it doesn't say he was ruddy, but he was handsome and stout. And we still have this outwardly appearance that is commented on here. But really what God is looking at here more specifically is at his heart. And so he says to Samuel, this is the one, Samuel. This is the one. And I'm sure Jesse was thinking there's just no way that this boy could be the one that you're looking for. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, which I'm sure made them very upset. And the Spirit of the Lord, and we just talked about this on the day of Pentecost, that the Spirit of the Lord would come and reside within the followers of Jesus. There in that room, here it is the Spirit of the Lord given to David, but it is upon him. It comes upon him and would lead him. And it comes in a mighty way, as it says here, upon David. From that day forward, Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. So this is an interesting story of how God is at work to bring about someone to perform a task or to carry out an assignment to be there to lead his people from then on. And of course, David is recognized as the greatest of kings. There is this this throne of David that will be referenced all the way throughout. And we talk about it again every uh, season of Advent as we talk about this promise and this longing for a Messiah that will come in the way of David. But we also recognize, as we think about the significance of David, that it wasn't about his strength or his outward ability. What mattered most to God was his heart. There aren't really any specifics here. It's not that Samuel looks at him and says, okay, well, he, he obviously was... Um, 
very devoted to God. He got up every morning before he went out to check on the sheep and he would pray. I mean, maybe he did do that, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he would go and offer sacrifices every day uh, to honor his God. It doesn't say that in, in any, any part of this chapter. It doesn't say that he had conversations with his father Jesse or his brothers about spiritual things. It, it doesn't mention any of that. It just says God looked at his heart. His heart was probably not fully developed in the way that it would, it would be one day. But God saw enough about David to know that David was the right one. I'm sure God loved all the other brothers just like Jesse did, but they were not the right ones to take them on. Now, if we look throughout the rest of uh, our Scripture especially if we spend some time in the Psalms. We see that there are some Psalms that are attributed to David. There are some that are attributed to him that he probably did not write. But we have a pretty good idea about those that we think he did, that really match up with his life. And Psalm 23 is one of those. But we also know about Psalm 51. We love to think about Psalm 23, about David going out and uh, being refreshed by God. Uh, David walking through the valley of the shadow of death and feeling God's presence. We like to think about that. But we sometimes don't think about what was going on with David's heart in Psalm 51. And if you look at Psalm 51, you see that David, even though he had a great heart, he had a sinful heart and a heart that would sometimes stray away from God. And God would know all of this and yet still love David and still be able to use David for great things. So David had an incredible heart and it matched the task that God had for him to carry out. As we think about this in, in our lives today, we can be thankful that God looks not on the outward aspects of who we are, but God looks at our hearts, doesn't He? You can see them kind of looking on from a distance there, and one of them has his hand up on his chin, and I'm sure he's wondering about David's... Uh, what, what is it about David that makes him special. He's not as big as the other guys. And sometimes we do that with one another, don't we? And we put our focus on the outward appearance. Or we think God could never use me because of, of the things that I've done or uh, the way that I look or the places I've been or the things that uh, I have allowed to become attached to me. And yet we recognize those things really don't matter to God. That's not what God is looking at. God is interested in our hearts. And God has big plans for our hearts. He has big things for us to do. If you think about the task that David had, it was an enormous task. And, and it really begins, what's the next thing that we see happening here with David? David gets anointed to be king and he goes out and has to face this huge giant, Goliath, 
who comes in and is ready not only to destroy or to take on their nation and, and, and this people that David is a part of, um, but he is a threat to David as well. And so David has to go up against Goliath. I mean, this is where we see his heart. Um, and he didn't, he didn't have the muscles. Yet there was something deep down inside of him that would give him the courage and the tenacity to be able to pick up these five smooth stones and to take on a giant. And so really from the beginning, we see David's heart emerging. And it's this huge task of leadership. But God has given you a task as well. God looks at you and He recognizes that you have a role to play in His kingdom. He has things that are very important, things that are vital, that need to be done in our world, things that need to be done right here in our neighborhood. We were spending some time this past week um, having an open house for our Highland Center Financial Services. And we had a pretty good crowd, a good representation of uh, churches and just people from the community that we invited to come and to hear about that. And uh, Randy did our, our presentation and he was talking about where this idea came from and talking a little bit about um, how we do this in, in partnership with Pelican State Credit Union. And I was just thinking, I wonder what our neighborhood would look like if Church for the Highlands had not stepped up and said, we really feel, we believe this is what God has called us to do. And, of course, especially when we started with that financial services ministry, uh, we were uh, just a tiny church. We're still a small church, but we were even smaller and to take on such a task, what a monumental task, and yet we felt like God was calling us to do it. And I remember the first day that we gathered to talk about this grant that we were being given by Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And uh, we were saying, well, what could we do? What, what kind of things could we do in our community that would make a difference? And I remember Randy, that was on his heart. It wasn't my idea, it wasn't anybody else's idea. It was God speaking to an individual about what he felt like God was saying about our church and what we could do. It's interesting to think about how God picked us out. Not to say anything about all the Eliabs and the Shemas and others in our community, but for whatever reason, God looked at us, Church for the Highlands, and said, you are the ones that I have chosen to do some very particular things right here in the neighborhood. And as we looked at our arms and looked at our strength and looked at our bank account, really? Us? God, you want us to do this? And so it was a time of celebration this past week as we looked at um, over a year of investing in some people here in the neighborhood. Even with some small $250 loans and others going on up uh, close to a couple thousand. And seeing the difference that that investment has made. We have a great task. But you know, it all comes down 
to the heart. So I wonder today, what kind of heart does God see in you? What kind of shape is your heart in? There are things that go on inside that we can't see from the outside. But that's what God is looking at. What does God see when He looks at your heart? What kind of shape is it in? Is it beating in the right way? Is it clogged up? If you look throughout Scripture, you'll see lots of characteristics and descriptions of the heart. I mean, just it's almost too many to even be able to count or to list. Look through there sometime. Do a Google search of Scripture about the heart. And you'll find all kinds of hearts. And you'll find one that looks a lot like yours. Maybe today your heart is hard. It's calcified. It's got all kinds of things that are stopping the flow of life within you. And God has a lot to say about hard hearts. One of the first things is that He doesn't give up on them. God can resuscitate. He can shape. He can uh, refashion. He can uh, add strength and vitality to a heart that has become very hard to God. He can work with it if you let Him. But sometimes we don't let Him. Sometimes we try to hide our hearts from God and we try to keep from allowing God to have access to them. And I think that was the big difference about David. That there was something going on. There was a a tenderness to God that we see not only in this instance but throughout his life that he had a sensitivity to the movement of God in his heart. So maybe he was doing a lot of praying as he was out there keeping the sheep. Maybe he was talking to God and saying, God, I don't know everything about you, but uh, I recognize that you're here late at night when I'm keeping the sheep. You're here in the morning as I get up, as I take care of these sheep. Sometimes, God, I just feel like you're taking care of me. As I'm walking with this sheep... I feel like you walk with me in the same way. And so he starts to pin out Psalm 23. I mean, we don't have a lot of specifics. But he had a heart for God. Today, we need to look at our hearts. We're going to spend some time throughout this summer in the Old Testament. We're going to spend some time looking at David and looking at a lot of other people, especially as we go to Father's Day this next Sunday. Um, By the way, that's a reminder. No one usually gets any great reminders like they do for Mother's Day. But isn't next Sunday Father's Day? Yes. And so we're going to hear a little bit more from the Old Testament about fathers. But I hope that you'll allow this to be a time of examining your heart. Just being quiet before God as you hear Scripture, as you think about the things that God wants you to do in your life. God's looking at your heart. Allow Him to have that heart. I'm really picking on Randy today. He had no idea that I was going to pick on him. But I I heard him talking the other day about going to the doctor. You're really scared now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not going to tell that story. Uh, but there was this uh, 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 instance where he had to... He, he, uh, Randy has been a pilot since 
How old? Okay, and we won't talk about when he legally, uh, I mean, well, well, before he was legally a pilot. But uh, he has to, as a part of being a pilot, he has to, just like all pilots, have his heart evaluated to go to the doctor um, and I guess this is a part of the FAA requirements and certification that you have to have a good heart to be a pilot. And if you're riding on a plane, you want to make sure that your pilot has a good heart, right? You don't want to be up there um, flying through the sky and have your pilot uh, have a heart attack or have some kind of a heart problem. And so it's not only a concern for the passengers, it's not only a concern for the pilot, it's a concern for everyone else who would be affected by a plane going through the sky and falling at some point because of a bad heart condition. So Randy has a great task of getting out and flying and, uh, and, and being a pilot. It's an enormous responsibility. And it's a daunting thing to think that it all comes down to the heart. The condition of his heart. And that's the way God's work in our world is as well. It's a daunting task. It's a tremendous responsibility. It's a great joy. But it all comes down to your heart. God loves you with his heart. God has the ability to cleanse your heart and to make it pure and right. No matter where you've been, what you've done with your heart, I hope that you will allow God to have it as you go into this next week. Let's pray.